Jeff, excuse me this morning. My voice is a little hoarse. And so uh, I'm hoping that, that uh, the Lord will, will provide strength uh, here as we, as we spend some time together this morning. We'll be continuing our study in the book of Matthew. So you'll need your Bibles. So we're not shuffling around later. But you guys get those out and flip to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. As other teachers have reviewed with you, the, the book of Matthew is full of really important themes. Really important themes. Do you guys remember any of the themes that your teachers have mentioned to you guys so far? Yes? Uh, Jesus Jesus is king. That's a huge one. That's what you guys were all thinking, right? Yeah, Jesus is king. That's right. And the kingdom of heaven is another another thread that we see throughout the, the book of Matthew. And we'll see this in our passage today. We'll see uh, some of those themes um, come to the surface. Our, our text for today can be summed up in the following way. So if you're taking notes, this is one of those times where you're going to get one of those kind of uh, big picture sentences. Okay. Our text for today can be summed up the following way. Jesus loves little children because they're an illustration of the kind of faith that pleases him. Jesus loves little children because they're an illustration of the kind of faith that pleases him. Our text for today is important for the following reasons. So pay attention. If you're like, oh, why should I listen this morning? I'm a little tired. I just got out of bed. This is why you should listen. Our text for today is important because it shows us the kind of, of prideful and, and presumptuous attitudes that Jesus does not like. Raise your hand if you want to please Jesus. And me too. And so our text for today is going to show us the kinds of attitudes that do not please our Lord. Our text for today is important because it reminds us that although Jesus Christ is the sovereign king of every single man and every single molecule, he he is welcoming. He's disposed to welcoming the most helpless and the smallest among us. I think it'll make you love Jesus more if you listen this morning. Finally, our text for today is important because it shows us the way to the kingdom of heaven. As we explore a passage today, we'll rely on two parallel passages. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 19, 13 to 15. That's where you should have flipped. But there's two other uh, parallel passages that we'll be relying on as well. What's a parallel passage? It's a piece of text somewhere else that tells us the same story from somebody else's perspective. And so um, Luke 18, 15 to 17 I'll repeat that, Luke 18, 15 to 17, and Mark 10, 13 to 16, describe the exact same scene that we're going to be looking at today. So if you want to keep your fingers wedged in those two passages as well, feel free to do so, because we're going to be going back and forth. In Matthew 19, 13 to 15, we're going to see three scenes. Let this outline the text in your mind before we start. It's a short text. We'll see three scenes that showcase the Lord's heart toward childlikeness. We'll see scene number one, a presumptuous rebuke. In scene number two, we're going to see an indignant response. And in scene number three, we're going to see a fulfilled request. Look down at your Bibles, guys. We're going to start with scene number one, a presumptuous rebuke in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. Matthew 19, verse 13 says, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. So who's being brought to Jesus here? 
I'll need participation. I'm going to call on some people. Yes, sir. Who's being brought to Jesus? Children. That's right. Children. So, so who is a child? Who is a child? What do we consider a child? Yes, ma'am. How old is that age range? Okay, anyone under the age of 18. Anybody have a different opinion? Yes. My size. <laughs> Your size? Okay, perhaps. Perhaps. Yes, go ahead. Little siblings. Little siblings, okay. So there's differing opinions. So, so uh, something that helps us out when we're looking at this text, I was reading one commentary and it goes kind of into the Greek of the word that's used to describe children. And it actually uh, refers to infants and toddlers. So zero to two. Anybody have infant or toddler siblings? Yeah, some of you. Okay, well, one of our parallel passages helps us out here as well to get a full picture of what exactly is going on. So if you guys look at Luke 18, 15, one of those passages that I told you to keep your finger wedged in your Bible for. Luke 18, 15. Got your Bibles with you back there? Look on with somebody if you don't have it so that you know where I'm getting this from. Luke 18, 15. Anybody there already? Somebody read it for us. Okay, I'll go ahead and read it. It says, and they were bringing even, what? Yes, babies, babies to him so that he would touch them. Um, so, so we're getting an accurate picture of what's happening here. That They're bringing forth babies to Jesus so that he would touch them. Who's bringing the children to Jesus? Do, do those of you that have infant and toddler siblings, uh, do they go where you tell them to go? And not really, and some of them can't even walk. And so who, who's bringing them to Jesus? Yeah, maybe their parents, maybe their parents. If you remember from the last time you guys were together in Matthew 19, uh, 1 to 12, Jesus had departed Galilee and had come into the region of Judah and a bunch of people were following him. Um, and some among the crowd were, were Pharisees who began to question Jesus about what? What did y'all learn about last time? About divorce. They're questioning him about divorce. And as you guys continued on in that passage, um, when we actually look at a parallel passage, Mark 10, 10 tells us that that whole discourse took place inside of a house. Uh, Jesus is, is crammed into a house in this scene with some Pharisees that are questioning him and some disciples that are kind of hard headed and, and they don't learn things the first time around. And all of a sudden, uh, parents walk into the house holding these crying babies and start handing them to Jesus. So, so this is the, the scene that is unfolding before us. Why are children getting brought to Jesus? What do you think? What does the text tell us? Go ahead. To be blessed. That's right. So that he might do what? Lay his, his what? What does the text say? Lay his hands on them and do what? Help me out, guys. We're going to be here till lunch if you don't help me out. What does it say? Lay his hands on them and do what? What does, it, what does the Bible say? What does it say in that text, Dan? Starts with a P. Pray, right? Lay his hands on them and pray for them. This might make you think of scenes in the Old Testament, uh, like when Jacob blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, what did he do? He called them to himself and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Or when Isaac blessed Jacob, he laid his hands on him and blessed him. And in the book of Matthew, if you guys have read the book of Matthew, hands are, are laid on people, but by Jesus, not just whenever he is blessing them, but whenever he's praying for them and, and healing them. So, so this isn't anything new to our Savior. Why do you think these parents wanted Jesus to, to lay hands on them and pray? Why do you think that Jesus wanted, I'm sorry, why do you think parents wanted Jesus to, to lay his hands on, on the babies and pray for them? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but, but it could be because um, it was Jewish custom 
to bring uh, little babies before the rabbis and for them to impart some kind of uh, spiritual blessing on them. It, it could have been because they just seen Jesus do some really cool stuff. They didn't really know him, but they've, they've, they've seen him heal. They've seen him have compassion on people. And they think that he can render some kind of spiritual or some kind of physical benefit on their kids. Or it could be that these parents, what was that theme of Matthew again? Jesus is king, right? It could be that these parents actually recognized that the man that was standing in this house before them was the Messiah, the king of Israel. And so, so this may have been an expression of true faith. They may, may have recognized that their kids really needed Jesus redemptively. Isn't that why your parents bring you to church, guys? Isn't that why they, they drove you here today? Because, because they see Jesus as the ultimate spiritual blessing. They're not on some kind of secret mission to teach you about Jesus. It's pretty obvious, right? They're bringing you here because they love Jesus and they want you to love Jesus. Whatever the case, we see in this first scene that as crowds swarmed the Savior, they brought their most precious ones, right? Their little ones. And how do the disciples respond? How do the disciples respond? What do they do? Yes, go ahead. They rebuke them. They rebuke them. That's right. Who is them? Who do they rebuke? Yes, you mouthed it. Say it out loud. It's okay to say it out loud. The parents, right? They rebuked the parents. What does it mean to rebuke? What does it mean to rebuke? Yes, go ahead. To say something is wrong, right? To to voice some kind of disapproval or disagreement or criticism because of what somebody is doing. And so the the disciples were seeing that the, the parents were bringing forth their babies to Jesus. And for some reason, they thought it was wrong, right? They weren't just saying, hey, you know what? He's busy. Come back at a later time. What were they doing? Get out of here. They were scolding the parents. They were scolding the parents. They were expressing sharp dis- disagreement with the parents' decision to bring forth their, their kiddos to Jesus. Maybe they saw this as, as maybe something that opposed the, the great mission of Jesus, right? Were they right in thinking so? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, somehow they got it in their heads, maybe, that they were Jesus' personal assistants. And as such, they understood that he had some kind of calendar of events or some more important things to do than, than blessing children. He didn't have time, according to the disciples, to bounce little kids on his lap and much less to pray for them. It may have been also that the disciples forgot what Jesus had just taught them. I don't know if you guys remembered uh, last week, y'all learned about divorce and only one person was able to raise their hand and tell us. So maybe y'all need a little bit more uh, of um, your mind being, being um, jogged about what you guys have learned. But in Matthew 18, In Matthew 18, you guys saw a passage that's very similar to the passage that we saw today. Uh, Turn real quick to Matthew 18, verses 1 to 6. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 6. So Matthew 18, 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That they should have learned from that interaction that Jesus loves childlike humility. Let's keep going. Look at verse five. Verse five says, and whoever receives one such child in my name 
receives me. They should have learned that Jesus wants us to welcome those with childlike Christ word humility. Jesus continues. Look at verse 6. Look down at your Bibles, guys. Look at verse 6. It says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So they would have learned that Jesus feels indignant toward those who do childlike individuals spiritual harm. Had the disciples listened closely to the Lord in Matthew 18 in that previous interaction, they would have seen that that Jesus loves childlike humility. He considers child-likeness. Listen, guys, because this is going to be an important theme in our our study today. He he considers child-likeness an essential characteristic of those who enter the kingdom. They would have learned that Jesus wants wants us to welcome the child-like, and they would have learned that Jesus feels indignant. He gets upset whenever someone does spiritual harm to to those who are childlike. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't think of any greater spiritual harm to do someone than to prevent them from coming to Jesus. John MacArthur writes, obviously the 12 who had spent the better part of two years living with Jesus, hearing every single word that he spoke and observing everything that he did, did not yet fully share his mind and his heartbeat. Maybe we don't share his mind and his heartbeat in this respect either. Guys, is it our job to decide who should be allowed to come to Jesus and who shouldn't? Is that our job? No. Should we only share the gospel with those who we think are most likely to receive it? Should we only share the gospel with those who we think are smart enough to receive it? Should we only share the gospel with those who look like us? Should we only share the gospel with those who we think have not sinned really ugly sins? No, right? Guys, Matthew 28, the, the big passage that people use for missions and for disciple making. Does Matthew 28, 19 say, actually turn there real quick. Go to Matthew 28. Go to Matthew 28. So look at it as I, as I, as I say these, these things and, and think about how, how this applies to what we're talking about here. Does Matthew 28, 19 say, go therefore and make disciples of some nations? And a specific type of people group in a specific age range and socioeconomic class. And oh yeah, make sure that the disciples that you make haven't sinned really ugly sins. Is that what it says? No, it says go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. nations. That's right. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. According to 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7. The job of Christian disciple makers is to plant the seed of the gospel. Where? Everywhere, right? Everywhere. Because only God can make it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but but God who makes things grow. So it's not our job to decide who should be allowed to come to Jesus and who should not. Our job is to tell everyone about Jesus, not to extend gospel invitations to some and then to keep others away like we see the disciples do in this passage. So if Jesus loves childlike humility, if he wants us to welcome the childlike in his name, if he becomes angry whenever people do uh, the childlike spiritual harm, how do you think he felt when he saw the disciples turning little children away? How do you think he felt whenever he saw them saying, hey, he's busy, don't bug him. How do you think Jesus felt? Before we look at the next piece of the text, anybody have an idea? 
How do you think that made Jesus feel? He just said in Matthew 18 that he loved little children. Yes. Okay, perhaps he felt angry. Anybody else? Just what, what he said? Any other ideas? Disappointed. Disappointed in them, right? That he, he'd spend so much time with them. Maybe he thought at this time they should know his character. They should know the things that please him and displease him. So let's go to scene two. So far we've looked at scene one, a presumptuous rebuke, and now we're going to continue on to scene number two, which we've titled an indignant response. An indignant response. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Before we consider what Jesus is saying here to the disciples, maybe it's important to consider how he's saying it, right? If I get home after a long day's work and my wife asks me, hey, how was your day today, honey? And I say, fine. Is that different than if I say, it was fine? It's different, right? So, so tone is important. Tone helps us to, to derive meaning from things. But the, the Bible doesn't always give us every detail about the emotion with which something is being said. But when it does, we should use it to help us interpret what is being said. Uh, in our text for today, we can only speculate what Jesus' emotions may have been. Because this text, does this text tell us how, how Jesus said what he said? Not necessarily. It tells us what he said. But we're going to have to rely on one of our parallel passages here. So, so go to Mark 10. Everybody go to Mark 10, 13 to 15. Mark 10, 13 to 15. And then look up whenever you're there so I know that you're there. Okay, see faces looking up. Okay, look down again. Look down again. Mark 10, 13 says, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was, what? What does it say? He was indignant. That's right. And he said to them, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So, so we see that Jesus, how did he feel? What was his emotion that, that Mark 10 told us? He was Indignant. What does it mean to be indignant? What does it mean to be indignant? Yes, go ahead. Very oh, very angry. Very angry. He was displeased. He, he thought that the disciples' actions were an affront to his mission. Right? He's like, what are you doing? Haven't you learned everything that I've taught you? Haven't you seen the way that I interact with, with people? So the Lord showed righteous indignation toward the disciples because the disciples showed sinful indignation toward those who were bringing their children to Jesus. Guys, what did Jesus in his displeasure say to his disciples? He was indignant, and how did he respond? They, they were um, keeping children away from him, the disciples were. Jesus is indignant, and he, he responds. What does he say? What does he say? Yes, sir. Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. He kind of repeats himself, right? Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus knew that he had to spell it out for these guys, right? Because sometimes we need the word spelled out for us. We can be hard-hearted and stubborn when it comes to knowing how, how the Lord wants us to interact with, with people. Um, so it's pretty straightforward. Leave the little ones alone. Do not stop them whenever they come to me. 
What reason does he give them? What reason does he give the disciples? He says, don't stop them from coming to me. And then he says, for. Anytime we see the word for in the Bible, what should we do? Pay attention. <laughs> we should pay attention. We should always pay attention. That's good. For is like saying because. So whenever you see the word for, you should really pay attention to what comes after because it's giving you the reason for what just came before. So he says, do not stop these children from coming to me because, because, what? Exactly, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So let's take this one piece at a time. It says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What's the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Yes. Okay, perhaps heaven. I saw you mouth the same thing. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. So whatever it is, and we'll look at it here in more detail in a moment, seems to be very important to, to Jesus. Um, and the, the author of the book of Matthew, Matthew himself writes about the kingdom of heaven many times. And in Matthew 4.23, flip there real quick. Go to Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the, what? The kingdom. The kingdom. What does gospel mean? Yes. Good news, right? He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom uh, and healing every kind of disease and every sickness among the people. So whatever this kingdom of God is, it's, it's good news. Whatever this kingdom of God is, it was, it was the prime, of primary importance to the message of Jesus. It was a substance of Jesus' preaching, right? This kingdom of God is really important. Flip now to Matthew 13. Go to Matthew 13. Go to Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. So verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, so whatever this kingdom is, it's so supremely valuable that it makes everything else look like nothing. Right In this parable, these two men understood that, that the treasure that they had found was life-altering. Right? What did they do? They found this thing, and then what did they do? Yes, they sold. They sold what? They sold all that they had, right? Did they do so kind of begrudgingly? Like, oh, I guess I found this kingdom thing. No, what, did they, what does it say? It says in verse 44 that from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. So, so this kingdom of God, whatever it is, is of supreme value. And we should desire it more than anything else. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Here's a couple quotes from some of the uh, commentaries that I was reading this week. Listen very closely, guys, because this is key to our text. A guy by the name of William Hendrickson writes that the phrase, the kingdom of heaven indicates God's kingship. His rule, his sovereignty in the hearts and lives of his people and affecting their complete salvation, accomplishing their complete salvation, their construction as a church, and finally, a redeemed universe. John Piper uh, gives us another a helpful 
a quote here. He says, the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is the saving reign of God. It is the saving reign of God that is partly present and partly future. And it is the present and future saving reign of God and of Christ. John Piper makes a really helpful point uh, in the article where I got this quote where he emphasizes that the kingdom of God is not necessarily a place. It's not a realm, but a reign. So, so in other words, the kingdom of heaven, if you're taking notes and any of these uh, definitions uh, help this make sense, write them down. The kingdom of heaven refers to God's redemptive rule. It refers to, to Jesus's lordship over everything, especially the hearts of his people. The, the kingdom of heaven is the exercise of his loving authority over sinners that he has chosen to save. The, the kingdom of heaven is the outworking of God's saving sovereignty as described in places like Colossians 1, 13 to 14, where it says that, that God rescued us sinners from the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Guys, might I suggest that the most important thing about you this morning isn't whether or not you go to NBC or whether you went to youth camp last week. It's whether or not you belong to this kingdom, whether or not you are part of this kingdom. As we saw in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, members of, of God's kingdom are subjects of his sovereign love, the sovereign love of King Jesus. In him, members of his kingdom have redemption. They have the forgiveness of sins, those who are outside of his kingdom, on the other hand, are subjects of the king's anger and the king's wrath. They have no redemption. They have no forgiveness of sins. And the penalty and the power of sin still hangs over them. So if Jesus were here with us this morning, we may want to ask him, Jesus, do I belong to the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, to whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? We look closely at this text because Jesus is here with us this morning in his word and he tells us in the text. So look back at verse 14. To whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? How can I be part of this kingdom? It says, but Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So to whom does the, the kingdom of heaven belong? Such as these. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven belongs to these as in this particular group of kids in this particular time in history, he says, such as these, right? And those who are like this, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that possess certain qualities that children possess. So, so what qualities is Jesus referring to? Well, what qualities do children possess that, that people that want to be kingdom citizens need to possess? Yes. Um, humility. Okay, humility. Anything else? Okay, well, that's a great guess. And then we're, yes, go ahead. Innocence. Innocence, perhaps. Okay. Anything else? So, so, so the text isn't super specific in this area, and it's not like we're left guessing. We're going to look at some parallel passages here in a moment, but those were two great answers. Okay, humility, I think, is one that we're going to um, pull on the thread of here in a moment. And let's look at our parallel passages. Uh, look at um, Luke eighteen sixteen real quick. Go to Luke 18, 16. And here we're looking for the kinds of qualities that, that children possess. That, that kingdom citizens should possess as well. 
Look at Luke 18, 16. It says, but Jesus called to them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of, of God belongs to such as these. And then he gets more specific. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Look at Mark 10. Go to Mark 10, the other parallel passage. Mark 10, verse 14. Mark 10, verse 14. Mark 10, verse 14 says, but when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he gets more specific. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So these two passages help to shed light on what exactly Jesus means when he says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. He specifically refers to the fact that kingdom entry, listen to this guys, kingdom entry is reserved for those who receive the kingdom in the same way the children receive it. My son is, is 18 months old and if you've ever been around a toddler, you know that they can't say very much and they're really clumsy and their head is about the size of their body. Right, but, but they know that they can't do very many things on their own. When my son is hungry, he says, dad-da. Whenever he's sad, he says, dad-da. Whenever he gets hurt, he says, dad-da. Whenever he can't figure out a toy, he says, dad-da. And in his little mind, guys, he sees me and his mom as those who can fulfill his every need. He has no problem admitting that he cannot do anything on his own strength. He's not ashamed to look weak and small because he is weak and small, right? He doesn't stop to think about how he can earn our love and our assistance. He doesn't contemplate whether he's done enough good things uh, for us to, to help him. I think this is the kind of humble dependence and simplicity that the Lord refers to in this passage. When the Lord says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, this is what he's referring to. Jonathan Parnell, uh, he's an author uh, at Desiring God, says something really helpful. Listen to what he has to say about this. He says, when Jesus says of children, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, he doesn't mean the kingdom is possessed by the cute and innocent, but by the helpless and needy. Like how children are, empty-handed and weak. You can't come to Jesus with your arms full of everything that you think makes you good. You're having it together, your best efforts. That is not what's in the best interest of Jesus. Jesus' welcome is a welcome of those who lack what the world considers premium. His welcome is a welcome of needs, of smallness, of those who don't know how to feed themselves or tie their shoes or wipe their noses. He wants you to come like a kid, like a kid who might need carrying. So if you come to the Lord Jesus like a helpless child, or if you come to him with your arms full of everything you think makes you good, like Jonathan Parnell says. Matthew 18, one to six uh, one of the cross-references that we've looked at today uh, leaves no room for confusion. At that time, it says, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So guys, only those who humble themselves as children will enter, nobody else. So far, we've looked at two scenes that showcase the Lord's heart towards childlikeness. Anybody remember what scene number one was titled? 
Yes. A presumptuous rebuke, right? The disciples rebuking the parents for bringing their children. And then scene number two, anybody remember scene number two? Yes. An indignant response, right? The Lord is, is upset with his disciples. He's showing righteous anger because they're actually an awesome example of what someone looks like whenever they're coming to the kingdom, what they should look like, and they're turning them away. Now we're gonna look at a third and final scene that, that doesn't need very much explanation. Scene number three, a fulfilled request. Look down at your Bibles at verse 15. It says, after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. So how does this piece of the narrative conclude? Did Jesus take the disciples' advice? Did did he, um, in turn, start shooing them away like they were? No, what did he do? He, He fulfilled the parents' request, right? He laid his hands on the little ones and blessed them. Mark 10, 16, one of our parallel passages actually says that Jesus took the children up in his arms and he, he laid his hands on them. It's almost as though Jesus was waiting on this sweet interruption to, to illustrate um, to those that are, that are full of presumption and full of pride that um, this kingdom belongs to those who come to him with humble dependence. So in our text for today, we've seen three scenes that showcase the Lord's heart toward child likeness. We saw scene number one, a presumptuous rebuke. Scene number two, an indignant response. And then scene number three, we saw a fulfilled request. As we close, there's two points of application that that I wanna make. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Christ with childlike dependence. Guys, if you run to him this morning, admitting that you have absolutely nothing good to offer him, if you put your hope in Jesus and in his perfect life and in his sacrifice for you, that perfect life can be credited to you and the, the payment for your sin can be made. God will transfer you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you are a Christian this morning, do you still come to Christ with humble, childlike dependence or have you forgotten how needy you still are? Flip to John fifteen five. This will be the last text we flip to today. John fifteen five. John 15, five, um, Jesus says of himself, I am the vine and of Christians, he says, you are the, what? Branches. Branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Do you still come to Christ with humble childlike dependence? Lastly, before we, we pray, there's a little bit of homework that I wanted to assign to you. I promise it's easy and it'll be fruitful to you. When you go home, write this down if you're taking notes that you know what to do. When you go home, I want you to study the text we looked at today, Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. And I want you to compare it to the text that you're gonna be looking at next week, Matthew 19, 16 to 26. And specifically, write this down so that you know exactly what you're looking for. I want you to focus on the difference between humble, childlike dependence that we talked about today and the attitude of the rich young ruler. Okay, maybe you can make one of those little T-charts or something, whatever helps you. Okay, but compare those two stories in preparation for, for the message next week. Um, our God is sovereign, even over the fact that these two stories are um, right next to each other. It's not a coincidence. God has something to teach us here and I hope this assignment is helpful to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you 
for your word. I thank you that we can know you, Lord. Thank you that you have preached the good news of, of the kingdom. Lord, you've told us how we ought to come to the kingdom. Lord, this morning we, we confess that we often come to you with um, the things that we think make us good. Lord, help us to turn away from our self-righteousness, our self-dependence, God, and to come to you um, like a child uh, comes to a parent or like a child would come to the Lord himself. Lord, we, we pray that we would not think that um, we know you um, better than, than what your word has, has taught us. Help us to rely on the scriptures to know your character so that we wouldn't be found like the disciples um, valuing or devaluing things that you don't value or devalue. God, help us, teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.